Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. It is time to launch the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. We like to every Friday bring in someone for a a discussion about all kinds of stuff that's been going on in the world. We like to bring in someone who's got some intellect and some opinions and some ability to express them. Well, today, my guest hits all those targets. And he has the finest head of hair in the city. He's the host of the Hamilton Network on Cable 14. Guy we haven't had on here for a long time. It's been busy these days. Mike Fortune joins us. Mike, how are you? Scott, I've missed you. I've missed your listeners. Uh, I'm doing well. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing okay, although... Although, did you watch any of the World Cup games today? <laughs> yes, on a very small iPhone screen while I was in a uh, high school gym with 10 junior girl volleyball teams all screaming at the top of their lungs. I was able to, some of us were all huddled around a little iPhone, so yes. Okay, because what I was going to say is I, I'm doing great except for the fact that penalty kicks or penalties yeah. for, for the is the most disgraceful, inexcusable way for any sporting event to be decided. And Period. We saw, two, we saw two of them. Two today. of them. Two, Decide, two of them. play the game until someone wins the game. If you have to start taking players off the field so it's 10 on 10 or 9 on 9 to make some, whatever. But penalties, and Mike, for the record, I've got no dog in this fight. When Canada went out, I my team was gone. Uh, if I had to have a backup, my wife's heritage is German. I would have gone with Germany. They're out. I got no dog in this fight. But penalties are absolutely the worst, worst, worst way to dis- to de- decide anything. And, and Scott, so to your listeners, and if I offend anyone right now, I apologize. I am not a huge soccer fan. I will watch it every four years for a little bit, like I'm doing right now for the World Cup. Sure. And, and that's my soccer fix. And I have to say... During the tournament, it was it was quite interesting. But to your point, watching these two games end on kicks, and you saw that goal that Messi kicked. He just kicked a soft launcher right along the ground. It's like, really? This is how these things are going to be won and lost on the biggest stage in the world? Can you imagine? Just imagine if the world, uh, if, if, if the uh, Team Canada in the Olympics had to had to. Win or lose, but they the do medal. But they do. This is the problem. Canada has, I mean, has lost in hockey. We've lost Brendan Shanahan. Remember when Wayne Gretzky didn't shoot in Nagano against Dominic Hoshik? We lost out. But did uh, they not switch that? So my mistake. I thought no, they no, no. Out. International hockey keeps going. But this, this to me, is 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 almost well. It's not almost worse. It's just as bad. It would be like having an NBA playoff game. The NBA championship is tied after the first overtime period. So now we're going to have a free throw contest. My apologies to your listeners. They're probably all thinking this fortune guy isn't very intellectual. He doesn't even know how the Olympics are won in hockey. So my apologies. Thank you for no, no, no. It's it's Um, it's just to me or or in in the Super Bowl. You go to the Super Bowl and after the ten minute overtime, it's still tied. Now we're just going to have a field goal goal kicking competition. competition. It's just such a stupid letdown of, and I know people say well it's very exciting it's it's it can be but it it in and again I don't have a dog in this fight but it seems to more often than not give an opportunity to reward a team that's trying to do nothing except hang on I remember so you may or may or not remember this a number of years ago Toronto FC was in the finals against Seattle Seattle did not have a single shot on net through the entire game but made sure they got to a tie and then won in penalty kicks. They didn't even try to score. 
And, and you know, maybe that is that's that's just a strategy then sure for some is. of these teams. And 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 it's unfortunate. Um, you know, the game of soccer to me, and again, you know, they'll say, "Hey, Mike, yeah, you're a huge baseball fan. That's boring as can be." Okay, I I, I can see your side of it. I just don't see 22 guys running on a on a pitch that is so massive with with goals that are so huge. How there isn't more scoring. Um, and people get excited by it, but hey, all the power to them. And if it's the penalty kicks that get people the most excited, because I have to say, when I was watching the kicks, I was actually a little bit more interested. So I you're, you're agree with the way it won, way it was won, but it was like, okay, well, at least now we're going to see some action. Hopefully, here's my suggestion for how to fix this. Okay, that, that the penalty kicks could then become an almost tolerable solution because I just I hate the penalty kicks right now or penalties again, if you want to be precise. You get when it, if you get to penalties, you get as many chances, you get as many kicks as you've had shots on net during the game. Oh, look at you! So if you're a team that decides I'm only going to hang back and play for penalties because we can't beat this team, and you're outshot seventeen to two when it comes to penalties, the team that had seventeen shots on net gets seventeen kicks. You get two, and if they get more in their seventeen than your two, they win. At least force people to have to try to score. Here's a thought too: to to keep everyone on the pitch who has played the whole game, why can't you? have corner kicks as the way to decide it. You can come up with different strategies. Well, you still you, have to have yeah. offense. You still have to have defense. And there's, I've that seen how Japan was being creative. At least everyone is still involved, and it's not left up to that poor goaltender that's going to have to wear this for the rest of their life. It's it's everybody who was involved. Just a thought. Uh, it's okay. I just, I, I as I say, I, I hate a skills competition to end it because it's a great event. You're playing for the championship of the world. The world of the world. The biggest trophy ever. Yes. Yes, we're but so gonna, we're going to kick the ball, kick the ball along the grass across the goal line into good, the old onion bag, as they say. Uh, well, you know what? And if you're if you are listening to this and you say you two are idiots, I yeah. love penalties. That's fine. That's hey, totally fine. I just think this is the worst possible way to decide. Let the, take every at once you've played the 120 minutes, take a player off every 10 minutes and keep going until so if you get down to 5 on 5 you don't think that would be exciting i know that might be some people might say that's just as gimmicky as penalties well at least in the end it requires you to, your team to win not yeah. just that anyway mike you are a guy interestingly you are the guy who did all of the Debates, all of the municipal election debates, every single ward. I, I, I have, I applauded you, though I questioned your sanity for doing that. But nonetheless, you did the mayoral debate. You did all fifteen ward debates. You got to see who the councillors were before the rest of the city basically saw who their councillors were going to be. So you're a perfect person for this. We are now nudging. They council Hamilton is now nudging into the budget discussions are really going to ramp up once January rolls around, but we're starting to dip our toe into this and we're seeing at least hearing from the financial people with the city that the city is in a real tough spot here. We're looking at a big tax increase looming this year, 6.9%, which is what was talked about. That always comes down a bit, but now they're saying, well, the development charges from the province, we're going to have to add another couple percent for that. And our water charges are going up and on and on and on. So here's my question for you. Knowing that we are probably facing some tough times, we've also got this sewer thing we have to investigate, which could cost us who knows how much if we find problems. 
We've also got counselors who are proposing new programs, free bus rides for people, and we want higher budgets for counselor office staff, and we want this and we want that. Is this a time when we should be pushing for new, when counselors should be pushing for new programs, even if those programs could be helpful? Or is this a time when new counselors and all counselors should be saying, would love to do that, but we just can't afford that right now? Well, I think this is going to be quite the eye-opener for a lot of the new counselors around the table who were going around campaigning, and we need this and we need to do that. You know, it's all fine and dandy, you know, the four years leading up to an election and during your campaign run to, to sit on the sideline and, you know, be involved but not be involved in the final decisions. And now they are going to realize that they won't be able to do everything they've said or or have asked for, and you are going to have to make some tough decisions. So where do you want to cut? Who do you want to upset? Um, Do you want to limit the damage? Do you want to limit the number of people? There are huge questions, and if, if we look at what this council is preparing to do, and let's also face it, too, we've had, I think, a number of years, and correct me if I'm wrong, Scotty, it's, I'm, I'm known to be wrong from time to time, that I think we, they've always kept it fairly low as best as they can. But if you want to start adding new things, hey, fantastic. What are you going to get rid of? How is it going to fit into that the budget? I don't it's, see that happening at all. I don't, no. I don't, you said, what are you going to cut and who are you willing to upset? I would say the answer to that, from, if I had to guess from council, is nothing and nobody. But, but it's and that's 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 in the perfect world, but you know they're going to have to. Um, you know, we, we look at uh, the Red Hill Creek inquiry. We look as to you alluded to the the infrastructure and and everything that's going on in consultant fees. Well, there's a whack load of savings potentially right there. Now that's on the old council, but if the new council can get their act together, and, and really work together, perhaps they can find some savings, perhaps they can find additional funds. Again, I don't see the books. I don't know. I don't know what's going on completely behind the scenes. But this new council, has they, they've beat their chest, they've banged the drums, and now push is going to come to shove. And how are you going to do this and not upset anybody? You can't. It cannot be done. People that you, People who voted for you, you are going to find out very quickly that you're going to upset them because there has to be an increase. I don't think that, uh, I don't recall anyway, too many of those who have banged the drums have been banging the drums when during the election campaign for any kind of cuts in taxes. Some of them said we have to be careful with money, but then what we're seeing is new spending proposals coming in already. You knew that was going to happen. Every new councillor, understandably, every new councillor wants to come in with the ideas they ran on. Unfortunately, almost, almost every new idea comes with a cost attached to it. And it's a time with inflation and with all kinds of other things going on. And, and, you know, that suddenly telling people, you know, you might have a 7%, a 6%, an 8% tax increase this year. That is going to be wildly unpopular. This but, just after they, they didn't they just uh, tell us that there's going to be a, uh, a 6 or 7% increase in our, our water and sewage. 6.49%, I believe, was the number. So, so there's one tax they've already added on. Okay, you got to do it. So, to your point, how big is this going to be? Um, I appreciate that councillors want to be more open, uh, more transparent, more accessible. 
but at thirty-five, forty thousand dollars per to bring on some new staff, that's a that, that's a big chunk to to bite off. And I appreciate that they're stretched thin and they're 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 doing the they're they're doing a full-time job for half the pay, so on and so forth. Well, listen, you know this is the real world that we're in right now, and if if you if you can do it great but just be prepared be prepared for the backlash that that's how you have to handle it and i think a lot of politicians they get into this knowing that there's going to be the backlash and it's 24 hour news cycles this too shall soon pass so 4 years from now they won't even remember it and uh, we can continue to move on. Well, the other funny one that always comes out of these is whenever we hear about budget discussions and proposed raises, we always hear, well, you know, the average Hamilton household uh, valued at 350000 or $400,000 will pay X amount. And it's like, wait a second, where is the Hamilton house that is, you can buy for $400,000 these days? Like, let's, wh- when you make these announcements from City Hall, let's at least make the real announcement that the average house selling price these days in Hamilton is closer to, I think, closer to 800000 So when you announce that the average household valued at 400000 is going to pay $100 extra a year, why are you even doing that? That's like, that's like when people say, you know, a, a, tip, or a proper serving of X food is two chips. Yeah, okay, great. Who eats two chips? Nobody does. So t- tell us what it means in actual proper terms. Next time they announce that the this is going to raise whatever by whatever, say it in an amount that's real, not a but, not a made up or or at least a played down number. Well, but but again, they will always take the lowest number to present it to the city so everyone feels good about themselves and there'll be there will be less grumbling that's just politics i think 101 if you will so oh, of course it's marketing it, for it, sure it is and i understand why they would do yeah, it i just think yeah. it's i just think that y- any time that the city wants to announce something like this there should be a requirement that the numbers be authentic authentic because it's based on the previous assessment numbers those are without any merit anymore in the city because house prices have gone so crazy over the last number of years that it's, you know, anyway, let's... It, uh, it, it certainly has gone gone wacky. And uh, again, the, these councillors, they got a lot on their plate. And like I said at the beginning of this topic, Scotty, the honeymoon uh, was short-lived and get ready to, uh, to, to make decisions that uh, people are not going to be happy with and, and see how much fun it is to be on social media then. Touche. Touche. You are, uh, we got to go. You are absolutely right. It is a fun thing to be able to tell how you would do it differently until you have to do it differently. And then let's see. You're absolutely right. Let's see if the if the folks are in your corner with all the moves, because that it is a different world when you're the one who has to do these things and be responsible for them. Mike, we have in months past seen Quebec bring forward Bill, um, what bill was it, 96, 93? Bill uh, 96, which limited English language usage in the province. We saw Quebec bring forward the bill that uh, blocked people from wearing religious symbols in public. Um, Today, we saw Quebec vote on something that would mean they don't have to swear allegiance to the king, even though that's part of our rules here. And yet, 
then Alberta comes forward and says, we want to make a constitutional amendment. We want to put forward our own rule here that would, um, that would allow us to protect ourselves. That if, if something is being done that hurts the province of Alberta, uh, that we can say no to the government. And there seems to be an awful lot more reaction from Ottawa and the federal government about the one in Alberta than there are in the ones in Quebec. Are they totally different or are two different provinces being treated differently? Yeah, that's a big one. You know, I, I, the Quebec thing has, has gone on for, for quite some time. And maybe that's just become, we've become a little desensitized to it. And it's like, oh, Quebec is saying something again. Okay, they want to leave. Okay, well, we're used to that. Um, when, when it comes to Alberta, uh, you know, I think that's starting to go down a slippery slope here when you start to have provinces um, having these types of discussion and not want to be part of this great nation that we call Canada. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I, I think we're looking at this one a little bit differently. Do we maybe have to perk up our ears a little bit more and listen as to why? What are we doing wrong as a country? Um you know, I, I, you know, I don't want to. I, I want to be politically correct here, but in regards to Quebec, you know, I, I think it comes down to the language and having the, the the French and the English on everything, so on and so forth. And and again, we've become sensitized to that, I believe. So moving to what Alberta's doing, yeah, I think it is being treated uh, slightly different. I think if Alberta, if it, I mean Quebec, one of the one of the things, one of the ones we talked about just a second ago is they're saying, you know, Quebec or French has to be the dominant language and English is not going to be allowed in some places. If the reverse was done in Alberta and they said English must be the dominant language, you can use Quebec or use French, but not really, uh, not prominently. I think that the federal government would go crazy. They, the federal government and the bureaucrats and everyone else, they would lose their minds about this. And look, if we're going to be a bilingual country officially, then surely what Quebec has proposed shouldn't be allowed to happen. And yet, as I say, the federal government kind of turns its head. I think it was shameful what our federal government didn't do about the act, about the bylaw, the bill that uh, barred religious symbols in public life. I think that was shameful by the federal government. It would, again, turn it around and say, if this was in Alberta, and in Alberta they said Muslim people cannot wear a hijab in a bureaucratic office, they would lose their mind and they would go to the Supreme Court instantly, instantly to fight this. Hands down, and again, we're we're in a new world. We're in a politically much more politically correct world, if you will. And uh, yes, they, they they certainly would. You know, here we are. We're very fortunate. I've said this on your show before, uh, Scott. You and I, and so many other of us, we we've, we've won, we won the lottery by being born here in Canada, where it's a free, open, democratic society. And when we start to have groups and individuals throw these things out, you know, it really starts to teeter, I think, on, 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 on what we're seeing in the world as a whole, overseas, social media, what our friends are doing in the States. And it, it starts to get a little, little scary how uh, we, are, we are pushing these envelopes, if you will, just a little bit more. And at some point, you know, maybe not in our generation or life, uh, you know, some of these things might actually happen. I bet you mean about our country splitting up? Yeah, I, yeah. And I think that would be very sad. We see it over in Europe uh, and overseas quite a bit now, all these new little countries and countries being taken over. Who's to say some of that stuff 
I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do, do we dare say there'll be some civil wars here in Canada where some of this might happen? I, geez, I certainly pray and hope not. No, I would, I could, I, uh, I don't want to get down this path too much. I could see a civil war in the States at some point, the way things are going politically with the way people are entrenched and hating each other based on their Mm -hmm. political views. But uh, I don't know that that's going to happen here. Nonetheless, I, I, look, I'm, if I'm in Alberta and all the things that have happened about, you know, the carbon pricing and blocking oil pipelines and this and that and the other, and you then you see Quebec every time Quebec sneezes, the federal government hands them a Kleenex. Uh, <laughs> I I can see why they would be bent out of shape, and I can absolutely see why they want to adjust the constitution or the the rules of our, our federal rules to say that we're not going to allow we're going to put in rules that don't allow you to impose this upon us if it's going to hurt us. I can absolutely see why this has gained some traction there. 100%. 100% I can see this. And the question becomes, how does the federal government fight this while not putting up the same fight for stuff that happens in Quebec that flies in the face of the Canadian ethos? And I don't know how you do it. It's the million-dollar question. And aren't, aren't you glad? I know I'm glad I'm not a politician that has to make these decisions, but I also do think we shouldn't be turning a blind eye to it uh, I think every Canadian should be uh, somewhat involved and, and somewhat knowledgeable on, on what is going on and how this decision goes. I'm sure you're going to have some people out there, Scotty, who are saying, you know what, they want to leave, leave. They want to put in that rule, that's fine. But then when they come to us, when they truly need us, why should we be there for them? Well, you know why we'll be there for them? Because we're Canadians, and that's what we do. We, 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 we help people. We give back wherever we can and do whatever we can. Um, but uh, again, I, I think some serious thought has to be given to all of this, and we should all be paying attention very closely. As I, I, I don't know how, I mean, the federal government is going to try, if this thing get, goes any further, the federal government, I'm sure, is going to try to put a stop to what Alberta is is looking at and what it's proposing. But I think if they do that, there's going to be a lot of questions about, well, where were you, especially with the religious symbol bill? Where were you then when, it, now I un- we understand, well, you know what, you don't want to tick off Quebec because Quebec is a province that gives the liberals a chance to win and you don't want to tick off a big part of your voting base. Meanwhile, Alberta, clearly look at the who's won seats there recently. Nobody votes liberal in Alberta, so we don't have to worry about that. That, to me, that is an, a, a, an amoral way to govern a country. If everything you're doing is simply, it's reality, but if everything you're doing is simply based on who gives you votes, not on what is the proper and right thing to do, then you have completely already lost your way as a government. But Scott, look at all three levels of government then. Look at clipboard politics when it comes to the municipal side. Look at what our current gov- uh, uh, um, uh, provincial government has done, you know, r- right right before election time. They, they show you how much money they're going to save, and they give you rebates, and they give you money back. No one that's, says it isn't cynical. That's, <laughs> no. But that, that's what they all do. They, they all do it based on uh, on on votes and and what will hurt them and what won't hurt them. All right, well this is going to hurt us. We better look at this. This eh, not as worried about that. We'll handle it differently. That's the world we live in. You are not wrong. You are not wrong. Not even a little bit. Let's take a break. Back with tell my, tell my wife that, please. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Fortune, he is not wrong on this one. But hey, we've got many more topics for him still to have a chance to be very wrong. So stick around. 
You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Mike, Time Magazine has come out with its annual Person of the Year. It used to be the Man of the Year, but now Person of the Year. And the winner this year, the Person of the Year, Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, which is, you know, that's an easy choice. And I think it's um, it makes a lot of sense. But my question for you is this. Is he, now keep in mind, this is not the hero of the year. This is not the best person of the year. The the Time Magazine person of the year traditionally has been the person who has had the largest impact on the globe in that year. Is he the person who should have been person of the year or should it have been Vladimir Putin? Who has had the bigger impact on the globe? We still have Mike? We'll get Mike back in a second here. My, my my question is simply, I don't dispute. I'm not arguing about heroism. I'm not arguing about being a good guy. I'm not arguing that, that Putin is anybody that we should aspire to be. I think Putin has done enormous damage. I mean, unbelievable damage. I think the man is quite frankly insane, and I don't mean that in a glib term. I mean, I truly believe that he has lost his mind. I think he is the worst we have to offer as in humankind. However, if you look at Time Magazine's Person of the Year from the past, 1938, Adolf Hitler, 1939 and 1942, Joseph Stalin, Uh, 1957, Nikita Khrushchev, 1979, the hostage crisis, the Ayatollah Khomeini. So my question again, now that we got Mike back, is, is... Zelensky, the person of the year, or should the person of the year, based on who had a bigger impact on the globe, really have been Vladimir Putin? So, yes, Vladimir Putin definitely had an impact on supply chain and and so on and so forth. uh, That's affecting us all, recession and all that. Um, But if if you want to look at what Vladimir Zelensky did, um, you know, David versus Goliath, I I think he gives, he has proven that uh, underdogs, uh, can be resilient. Countries can be strong. The way he has been able to not only bring his country together, but the whole world together, uh, or a large portion of the world together, with supporting Ukraine. I, there isn't a place you can go, even here in Hamilton, where you can't see the Ukrainian flag at That's some true. point. That's true. Uh, Zelensky, um, I think, is probably one of the the toughest, most courageous politicians you will ever meet. I know he doesn't have a political background, but he has he has that it factor when it comes to people skills, and he has um, helped all of us, I think, understand more um, about what's going on in Ukraine in that area, and 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 how we can be better people. Uh, again. Putin has done a lot of things uh, to upset a lot of people. I think Zelensky has brought a lot of hope towards people, and this is how you should govern. This is how you should stand up for yourself, your constituents, and your country. Uh, and there's nothing that you've said at all that I disagree with. There's nothing. that my, I, I, As I say, I just look at this and I think, do we, do, do we name these things, does Time Magazine, does whoever do this, because we like the hero rather than the villain, but I look at it, and truly, I, I, I believe that the person who has had the greatest impact on world events, 
this year has been Putin. Not in good ways, in all in bad ways, as you say. War in Ukraine, threat of nuclear war, um, uh, bombing of, of nuclear facilities, um, the, the supply chain that's affected the world's economy. Uh, all, I mean, every, literally every facet of the world has been touched by Vladimir Putin's insanity. And I just, I, I just, I know it's not a popular choice. It wouldn't be a popular choice because everybody hates the guy. Even his own people seem to hate him now. Mm-hmm. But I think there's nobody who's had a bigger impact on the globe this year. And, and yes, so to that point, I, I agree with you. But but why would we want to feed his ego anymore? What, why would we want to give him that title so he can just stand on his well, perch even more? <laughs> Um, you know, I, I, I don't know what the exact criteria is that the, the, the fine people at Time Magazine used to, to pick their person of the year exactly, if there's a bunch of categories. But if you look at the, the, the white, if, if you look at the, the, the Star Wars analogy, if you will, um, you know, yeah, you have some Darth Vader fans, but everyone's always cheering for for Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and the and the guys and girls there. That's, and I think that's one of these scenarios. Well, but let the record show that in this case, I'm not really being a Darth Vader fan. I'm, I'm not. I'm not being a <laughs> fanboy for Putin. It's 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 more the idea again. If, if Hitler was named Person of the Year and Stalin and Khrushchev and Ayatollah Khomeini, because of the impact they had on the globe. And the events of the world, because uh, the other part about this, and again, in no way am I endorsing this as somehow a good thing. Like he, Putin wears the black hat a hundred percent. There's no question about that. But would Zelensky even be a name that 90% of people on planet earth would know if Putin had not done what he did? No, probably not. But you look at how Zelensky stood up to, to, to this big mean bully. Look! Look! Look at! Look at what he has taught all of us, uh, and I hope people have watched and listened and learned from what Zelensky has been able to do. Yes, Putin has affected so many things, but I do believe, on the good side of things, Zelensky has also changed a lot of us. Who those who follow it, at least, in regards to opening our eyes to again how to fight, how to support how to be strong, how to be resilient and persevere through some of the worst, horrible, horrific conditions that I think we can't even imagine, Scott. And yet there he is in the trenches, literally fighting alongside. I think that is that is something to really praise and, and to, to honor and, and in a way to congratulate him for everything that he does and will continue to do. Now, on the flip side, while it probably undermines the whole discussion that we're having nonetheless uh, you know uh any uh, do you have any recollection of who was the person of the year last year which because then i raise this because it probably shows that ultimately who cares but do you remember who was the person of the year last year i'll take that as a no elon musk was the and he you know he could be in contention again this year elon musk could be one of the guys that you would have certainly thought based on everything that happened he would be in the mix again now he's not going to knock off putin or Zelensky this year but anyway interesting mike you are you seem like about the perfect guy to ask about this next topic you seem about perfect for this there was a survey that was done by a a website called intelligent.com it's an american company and they surveyed a thousand 
currently enrolled four-year college students all across the states, at universities all across the United States. They did a vast survey here to find out about stuff. And what they found out, I'm going to give you four, five things that they found out about these university students and what they think about university right now. 87%, say professors have made the classes too hard. Two-thirds say the professor should be forced to make the class easier. One in three who, quote, put in a lot of effort, that's a self-identified descriptor, they put in a lot of effort, spend less than five, fewer than five hours a week studying. 38% of students have asked the professor to change their grade while 31% have cheated in order to get a better grade, and half say they want their school to get rid of grades altogether and move simply to a pass or fail. Uh, yeah, so with, with a, uh, a first-year student in our family who's living on residence at Brock, uh, I am hearing lots of different things. I can tell you he is enjoying year one, and I think he's as much as he's learning in class, I think he's learning a lot more soft and social skills uh, in the dorm, if you know what as, I mean. As happens. As happens, and as is expected. Uh, you know, again, I think we're coming around to a softer society where everyone wants a participation medal or trophy. Everyone wants to 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 feel good about themselves and, you know, give us something a little extra, make it easier for us. Uh, again, I'm gonna. I'm starting to sound old now. You and I didn't have to deal with that. Our parents didn't have to deal with that. And for some reason, I, I, I hate to say this, but I think kids nowadays in this age range of those four years uh, still don't really truly get it at times. I'm not painting them all with the same brush. Nope, nope. But there are a number of them that I think they they feel entitled. They feel that life should be a little easier for them, and maybe that's because they've had life easy for them uh, going up to this point. This is make-it-or-break-it time. This is where you have to become a, uh, an adult, figure things out, accept the outcomes, accept the consequences, and uh, if you don't like it, uh, put, on your, uh, put on your grown-up pants, whatever gender you are, and, and say, okay, I have to make changes as opposed to always pointing the finger at and asking for handouts or help me with this. Uh, this isn't fair. You know what I thought of when I saw this study? I, I recently, for the, I don't know, 30th time, <laughs> maybe not that much, but watched Saving Private Ryan. Yes. And, you know, I, I know it's described as the greatest generation, but the people, the young men, and it was all at that time young men, I think, pretty much, almost exclusively, the young men who had to fight in World War II, who were fighting there, were at the age or even younger than those who were in university. And I don't think that any of them got to say, you know, this is too hard. Can we make this a little easier for us? And And I'm with you on this point, is that I am... It, it, it makes me a little crazy that when something is hard, the expectation now seems to be, and it, we, we both of us are sounding like old men right now, but I think most people listening might would agree with this. The expectation now seems to be, rather than this is really hard, okay, do more to do better, the expectation seems to be it's really hard, therefore it should be made easier for us so I don't have to do more and I can still excel. 
and 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 again that we're turning into that soft society and to what to your analogy and and point that you brought up i just happened to be at cathedral high school yesterday and uh i found out that this past november 11th they unveiled uh, a new monument and um uh, an area in the school to honor the the cathedral high school graduates um who hmm. lost their lives during the war that's terrific god as i was looking at these young faces and then looking at their ages 20 21 22 23 i'm thinking our i was thinking our kids at our age would not be able to handle what they dealt with oh no i and, and mike honestly i wouldn't either oh so i, I wouldn't either no, by all means i, I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to either but to your point in regards to that specific age group um and, and where we are what 50 70 80 years later man oh man how this life has changed and you, you know i often wonder if they had the opportunity to come back or rise from their grave and look at the world now i wonder if they would just shake their heads and go what what has become of this world well why is it so why does everyone complain why do they want more and have to do less it's a gradual thing and so yes if you compare what the people who fought in world war ii or world war one or any when you compare them to my generation, your generation, I would not have been able to do what they did. I don't believe that. If I had had to go over there, maybe, maybe if you have to do it, you do it, but I don't think that I would have been good at it. And and honestly, I've every time I've watched that movie or Band of Brothers or something else, inevitably, the first thing that comes to mind is, and it's gruesome and it's horrible and it's depressing, but I really believe that I would not have made it off Juno Beach. Yeah. I don't think I don't think that I would have made it through the. I, I just look at it and I go, what What would be the chances that that just? I don't think I would have excelled at that. Nonetheless, that said, let's go back to being a student here and this eighty seven percent. The one thing I did though, so I'm acknowledging I was not as tough and as hardworking and everything else as the people before me. But if I went to university and I was struggling and I was putting in five hours a week or less of studying, the one thing I would do is say, well, I guess I better put in more time in order to work harder. I would not have simply then said, well, you just got to make it easier for me. What I mean, you're expecting me to put in more than five hours a week? Uh, I, I just I just got a text uh, from my good buddy, and, and, and you know him as well. Uh, he, he does a lot of voice uh, voice stuff for the, the Hamilton Bulldogs played by Troy, Troy Islicker, yep. stating, instant gratification generation and it it's so true i think in the fact with social media and you know get in and out in under 10 seconds that has really warped the brains uh, of our youngsters and i truly hope i truly hope universities colleges professors stick to their guns yeah don't acquiesce and and say no 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 you didn't do the time you're not going to get the grade and you want to know especially why mike because I believe that there are a ton of students out there who don't follow this. I believe there are hardworking kids in university who are putting in tons of hours and tons of work and are doing well at university. And if you suddenly reduce the bar to say, we're going to bring it down to make it super easy, yeah, you might be making it easier for those who are putting in fewer than five hours, but you're also penalizing those who are working hard and are putting in the effort, who deserve the reward for that effort. 
Yeah, and, and I agree with you. And I, again, I don't know what what the, it was eighty percent, eighty seven percent. I don't know what the total number of of uh, uh, people uh, were, as if it was a thousand or whatever. But yeah, of the hundreds of thousands of students that are out there, you know, there is a silent majority, and I think there's a silent majority of people are saying, "Shut up, do the work, and uh, you, you know, you'll be rewarded accordingly, or you'll you'll be disciplined accordingly on on a, on a pass or a fail or a." a low percentage. That's the part of me with this, when I saw this number, that's the thing that jumped out at me and that's the part that discouraged me. It's not that people thought it was hard and it's not even that maybe people said it should be easier. I mean, as much as we've joked about that and and made quips about it, you know, the fact a lot of us, if something is really hard, we would love it to be made easier. The part about this that really caught my eye and really made me a little crazy is that one in three who say they are putting in, quote, a lot of effort are spending less than five, fewer than five hours a week studying. The idea that 33% would think that that's a lot of effort is the problem to me because it suggests, well, have we lowered, have we, have we dropped the expectations so low that doing almost nothing is considered really good? Geez, you know, I, I could really change that curve. I could even make it lower. I, I thought putting in an hour's worth of work was a lot for me back in the day, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I had more fun in my social life. <laughs> but, 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 yeah, you know, it, it's uh, you, you have to be rewarded for the work that you do. You have to learn life lessons, and uh, university is where you either can either make or break it. Now, there are the odd exceptions of of geniuses out there and and money making ideas that you can do without all of that. But that I don't think is, I think it's getting harder and harder. Maybe some people say it's easier and easier with social media and technology. I truly don't know. But in education, it's not just about the education. It's about the life skills, the soft skills, the transferable skills that you get when you're in university, uh, time management, et cetera, et cetera. I, if we are, and we've talked about this on the show before, and, and university um, you know, it, it's different for sure. But if, if we are, if the university system is operating in a way and the education system is operating in a way that the people who are going to university are so ill prepared now to deal with what university presents, then maybe we should be revisiting what kids are getting out of high school and middle school to prepare them for this. Maybe it's maybe it's not even their fault. Maybe they have been fed a complete bill of goods that you're going to get great marks just by putting in a medium effort, and therefore it's a complete shock, no fault of their own, a complete shock because the education system leading up to that has let them down. So yeah, you're you're going down a whole other rabbit hole there. Um, I, I understand and I hear what you're saying. Uh, so just a couple points quickly. Then I, I know for, people have told me I never went to college, university. Year one is always going to be the hardest. Once you get through year one and you understand the ins, the outs, uh, living on your own, uh, freedom, so on and so forth, it gets easier into year two. In regards to what you just alluded to. Uh, Yes, I, I think there have been some teaching. Uh, I, again, things are different from when your parents went to high school and middle school, and same with me. There isn't that discipline. There isn't that respect. Uh, there are so many other distractions. I don't want to blame teachers, but I, I would, it, I'll blame society as a whole, how much we have changed and how we influence our, our children, the way they look at things, and how they, uh, they visualize and learn things. 
There, I want to read you one quote. This was uh, in a story about this situation. Uh, they were quoting an author at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, a guy named Stanley Kurtz. He's a National Review contributing editor. Here is what he said about professors who, because there have been professors, you may have read about it or heard about recently, there was a professor at New York University who was fired because his courses were too hard. Uh, this guy, Stanley Kurtz, says, professors who are, quote, difficult in this way, should be rewarded with promotions, prizes, and praise. Colleges should compete to hire them. Administrators who discourage, punish, or dismiss professors who are, quote, difficult in this way, like the professor of organic chemistry fired by New York University, should themselves be dismissed and replaced. That they, that nobody should be acquiescing to the argument that this is too hard, therefore we should make it easier. You don't lower the bar, you make people rise to the level of the bar. Yeah, and and, and, and I agree 100% with that quote as to why that particular individual was let go. You know, I always like to look at the other side, or there's three sides to every story. Were there other reasons behind it as well? And that's maybe what they just used as the excuse, who truly knows. Um, but yeah, raise the bar continue to work, continue to build who you are as an individual. And and the, the cream rises to the top. Those that can handle it, you know, they will be successful. Those that can't will have to uh, pivot and adapt in their world and figure out another way how to, to go out and make a living and, and so on and so forth. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I'm going to bring Mike Fortune back into the conversation here. Here's the story on Reddit, which is a social media platform where people can post opinions and such. Uh, a guy asked the question. He's a tall flyer. He's a tall man who was flying in a plane. And he says, am I the bad guy here because I'm sitting in my seat with my legs in their normal position and the person in front of me tries to recline their seat so that I can't even put my legs in front of me. I have to be you know, in a birthing position almost where they're, where they're spread. And he goes, and I asked the person not to recline their seat. And they basically told me I'm going to recline my seat because I paid for that chair and that's how I'll be comfortable. Mike Fortune, a man of, you know, not, you're not a short man, but you're not abnormal. You're, you're, you're an average sized guy. So you fit perfectly into having no dog in this fight. Is it cool to recline your seat if there's a super tall person behind you, or is that just inconsiderate? As the Fonz would say, a big thumbs down. No way. It, 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 it's not the right thing to do. Um, show a little respect for your fellow passengers. And, you know, I, I can't believe, you know, the, here we are. We can put a man on the moon. We can create artificial ions. We, we can connect to the world. And, and yet we still can't figure out how to have people comfortable on planes and, 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 you know, when these people do recline their seats, and I've, I've done it, but I'm kind of aware of my, my, my surroundings and who's behind me and who's beside me, usually, oh, always my wife, not usually, always. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm aware of these things, and what do you get? You get maybe two, three more inches of, of, of going back, and you're uncomfortable after a little while. Anyway, I think all airlines, I think they should forego and get rid of the reclining feature in all the seats, and uh, we're all going to sit up straight and, and, and normal, and that would clear up all these Reddit and social media viral videos. Okay, so uh, you know what? Uh, amazingly, I am fully on board with you. I think you are preaching a, a piece that needs to be heard by all. As a tall person who uh, once upon a time went on a flight and had a very, very similar experience to this, it was a just a ridiculous 
to me situation. I was flying to Africa from Zurich. It was a long flight. And the person in front of me was about, well, I think he was an extra in the Wizard of Oz. He was a very short man, but decided that immediately upon, immediately upon us leaving, he had to put his seat into the full recline position, which, you know, as a tall person meant that my knees were up around my nose. And I, you know, admittedly did not take too kindly to it and tried to block his recline with my knees. And the stewardess said, sir, if you wish to have more room, you can buy a first class seat. You can upgrade it. Like, I'm not paying four times. I'm All I have is my knees here straight out and you're not letting me sit here. Well, that's what they do. I am of the opinion that no recline is the way, is the, yeah. is the only polite, reasonable, and acceptable view on an airplane. And anyone who argues with me, well, I'll fight them. Yeah, Probably I, not. I, I agree with you. And like I said, I, I think they should abolish uh, the recline button on all chairs, all seats uh, on an airplane. And I've also, I think I saw somewhere on social media last week, it went viral. Uh, someone came and brought uh, some sort of a, a cushion or some sort of a cover to put over their airplane chair and it covered the way it hooked on it covered the screen from the person behind them to watch their movie or whatever and that that got a lot of viral hits too and again i just don't understand what people are thinking or or i guess in this state case not thinking uh with their fellow humans around them and and you know this okay i get it you paid for this seat this is your little bubble my space don't intrude it i won't intrude yours but here they are and just be a little more socially aware folks you know it, it's now africa that's, how long of a flight was that that's a heck of a flight it was it was about a eight or nine hour flight it was um so for eight or nine hours you'd have your knees basically touching your nostrils yeah, and the best part about it was uh, that my friend um, decided that uh, so w- when when dinner was served because it was you know a long enough flight that they actually serve food uh, nothing that I was going to be uh, writing a restaurant review about mind you but that's not the point here um, that uh, the moment that his meal got picked up by the stewardess because your seat has to be in the upright position when you're eating. The moment that his got picked up, and naturally because he was in front of me, they came and got his first because you work front to back. He threw his seat into immediate recline again, so I still had my tray on my lap, which promptly then fell everything into my lap. Oh, isn't that the best? That's that's the cherry on top. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It was, it was, it was, I was feeling, um, let's say that the, the milk of human kindness was not flowing through my veins at that moment. Was he aware of what he uh, what transpired oh, yes. after he did that? Oh, well, I don't know if he knew that he spilled the food on me, but he knew that, that I was, you know, in a crumpled position. Uh, but yeah, it, it is, it is, you know, the, the, the thing that you describe with someone covering your screen. Okay, if you're on an eight-hour flight and the one thing that is going to keep you sane because you're packed in like sardines is that you can watch a movie or two and the person in front of you blocks your screen. Um, I saw one on, on social media the other day uh, somewhere um, where a, a, it was a woman's hair that was dangling down over the screen, over the back of the chair. She had somehow flipped it over the chair so it was hanging over. I believe that n- um, international aviation rules a- a- allow that if someone dangles their hair over your screen, your video screen, you are permitted by aviation laws to get out your scissors and cut their hair off at the point where it covers the screen. 
Well, but as we know, you can't get through security with scissors in your hand now, Scott. So well, okay, you can use your teeth to gnaw it off. Use your teeth, uh, maybe bring some <laughs> duct tape or gorilla tape with you and tape their hair to the back of their seat so when they get up, they pull it all out. I don't know. Yeah, you know, flying, is, again, we haven't been on a flight for, well, since pre-COVID, if you will. Um, I think I think we all have our stories. I, I kind of go in with an open mindset, okay, this is how long I'm going to be on the plane. And you just kind of prepare yourself for anything that, that might happen. And, you know, with everything that COVID has taught me and, and our ups and downs and everything, it's like, is this all really worth it? Like, come on, people. Like, uh, figure figure some things out and uh, just be a little more respectful. That that's what it comes down. Well, now, to Mike, now. this conversation started by saying, "Is it is it okay? Like, what is the proper no. answer to this?" Well, according to social media, according to most of the people who respond to this, the vast, overwhelming majority of people say the person who was in the wrong here was the tall guy behind who tried to block the seat from going back. That once you had paid for that seat. That seat was yours to do with what you wanted and that that person should never have tried to get the person to stop reclining because that was, uh, that was, that was all his. Hence why social media has become so toxic and we found ourselves as a, as a, as a society in, in the predicaments that we're in because if it's on social media, it's got to be true and, and those squeaky wheels will get the grease and it's uh, it, it's a little crazy. It, it it truly is. It's interesting to me that um, with this, uh, the connected story here. So we have heard many stories in recent years about heavy people who have. It's been a tight squeeze in an airline seat, let's say, and someone has said, "Well, you know what they they overlapped into my space." And as a result, I was pinched. And the overwhelming response to that is, come on, be polite. The person is overweight. It's not their fault. Therefore, you know, you should not be taking their space or complaining that they needed more space. And yet, if it's a tall person, the answer here is, hey, that tall person can just live with it. Yeah, uh, it seems like a bit of an awkward conundrum here that if you're heavy, we're going to say you should have all the space you want because what can you possibly do about that? If you're tall, deal with it. Doesn't seem to make sense. What if you're a really tall, heavy person then? What do you do in that situation? Well, then you're you're a you're a human conundrum at that point. (laughs) What would Shaquille O'Neal? What would what would you say about Shaquille O'Neal sitting behind you? You know. Oh, could you imagine if you got on a plane? Forget Shaquille O'Neal. Could you imagine for a second if you with this story the way we started here? If you got on a plane and all of a sudden here comes Manute Bowl walking onto the plane, all seven (laughs) foot seven of them sitting behind you, and you go, "Yeah, I'm reclining." I'm reclining. You're, you you may have to tie your legs in a bow around your head to sit there, and and you may never get untangled. But hey, I got my I bought my seat. I'm allowed to recline, Minute. So too bad. To, and to what I said earlier, what does the reclining really really make your flight that much more comfortable? Like really? No. The answer is no. The answer is complete no. If you're flying. Uh, I guess, uh, I don't know, is it the economy style that uh, you you and I would be doing? Does it really make that much of a difference? It really doesn't. And um, you're right. It, it, it It's why, uh, even though, as I say, even though I'm a tall guy, I don't think, 
Well, let's put it this way. I can't remember the last time. I may have reclined my seat before, uh, but I can't remember the last time I did. It would have to be when I was maybe a teenager flying somewhere and being, you know, a teenager. But uh, it, it, I, I just never do it because it just doesn't seem to be worth you're right. It doesn't seem to be worth the impact on the person who might be behind me for whatever tiny, tiny, little, tiny bit of pleasure or comfort that I might get from it. If uh, now, I, if this was, if we were in a plane that had fully reclining seats so I could go back into a full bed position, oh. I mean, it, that would be really uncomfortable for the person behind you, but that's a different story. That, that's You save that for your private jet that you got. Uh-huh saddled up there in Mount Hope. Um, you know, per- perhaps, you know, if we want to, you know, go really off the rails and have some fun with this, you know, when, when you book your flight, forget about the weight, but perhaps you should have to put in what your height status is. And then, you know, all the tall people in the back and all the shorter people in the front, mid, and, and then, you know, uh, only, you can only recline your chair up to this, this row, and then from there up, you all got to sit straight up. I, I don't know. But yeah, that's, that's a... It's an interesting one. Fix the issue, airlines. Fix the issue. Fix the issue. And as for my private plane up at Mount Hope, uh, Mike, you're you're confused. I don't have the private plane. The only person around here who makes that kind of money is Bill Kelly. So Bill's plane is up there. It's the uh, it's the one next to Drake's seven sixty seven. The uh, Air Kelly is Bill, Bill and uh, Rebecca just swooshing all over the the country. Eh? Good yeah, for that, you, man. You, That's great. There you go. Got a few minutes left with Mike Fortune, and Mike, this one's a little. I grant you this topic is a little unseemly and it's a little tabloidy, but I'm really puzzled by this. So I don't know if people have been following this story, but there are two hosts on Good Morning America, TJ Holmes and Amy Robach, who, according to all the papers and according to everyone else, including, it seems, the folks at ABC, acknowledge um, they're having a little thing. They're having a fling together. They're together. They're having a romantic liaison, these two co-hosts. Somehow... This means that they are now off the air and some are saying they're not coming back on the air. Now, I'm not defending everything about them because their affair seems that they were both married. So it's, you know, it's, as I say, it's unseemly for sure. Uh, It's kind of gross in some ways. But if you've got two people who are of an equal level within the workplace, even is it really any of anyone's business what they're doing? Absolutely not. It, 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 it's nobody's business. Um, you know, from, from all accounts, I, 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 I don't think they were overly, you know, just you read some articles and you see some things. I don't, I, they may have had some googly eyes towards each other, but I don't think there was any real public displays of affection in the work area. Now, once they clocked out and they did their own thing wherever, that's a whole different story. You know, if, if if you're the owners of ABC and you want to get rid of them, that's fine. But I, I, I don't see why ratings probably wouldn't go up, why you might not want to say, okay, it wasn't working for relationship A and B, but here these two people have come together. But again, we are a society that loves to gossip and loves to wither away in other people's highs and lows uh, to satisfy maybe our own boring lives. I don't know. 
Um, like, and, and it's really who cares? Yeah, I'm not who, endorsing. Who I'm not endorsing having an affair. That's not what no, I'm saying about no, this. No, no. But but I just uh, as I say, I look at this and I think, okay, you know what? The guy from CNN who used to be uh, the head of CNN, I can't think of his name, Zucker, I think. Uh, he ended up being run out of town because he was apparently having an affair with someone who was a subordinate, and that's a no-no. But does it? it if you were to get rid of every person in every workplace who had had a romantic liaison with a coworker, I'm not sure that half the people working these days would still be working. Um, I would have to assume and agree with that. Um, again, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I kind of go back to the office, you know, Michael Scott and, and Holly. Listen, th- th- this, this stuff happens. Um, if it's consenting amongst the two, then who really cares? Um, it's uh, it's kind of a conundrum to me, but I also know that all businesses nowadays have to truly look after themselves, and they have to put in you know tr- PDA training or do's and don'ts in the workplace. I don't know, and if that's one of them, so be it. But you know, if you're not making anyone else around you uncomfortable or awkward, why why would you really care what's going on between person A and person B? Uh, and again, it's not. This is not about saying, "Oh, it's fine that you go and have an affair." That's not the nope. story here. It's just that you, you. I just wonder if we've reached a point now with. I don't know if this is even to do with me too. I don't know, but if we've reached a point where we are so over overzealously examining everyone else's life when we got our own problems and you know what it's if if no one's being if 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 no one's claiming that they're being forced into this or whatever else what's the, what difference I, I just you know again I just I just you know we all have friends who probably have had office romances um are we supposed to say that they're they're bad? They should all be fired. I mean, I, I just don't I just don't understand this. No, I, well, I, I I don't either. It doesn't uh, doesn't bother me one way or the other. Uh, again, I think we live in a world where you know people meet other people and circumstances and feelings change. And hey, again, if 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 this is something that's working out in your life, hey, all the power to you. Hey, feel bad for the people that are on the wrong end of the stick for this, but uh, you know, we, I'm assuming they will bounce back. And I really don't understand why it's anyone's business. Again, I think people are trying to fill the void in mm. their life. Um, if if we all had perfect halos. Boy, what a wonderful world it would be. But we all have a halo, and it's all got a little chink in the armor or a little bend in it. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, I just, you know what? So, okay, so these two were married, not to each other. They're, this is their their fling together thing. But, you know, it would appear that the next step would be that anyone who has a relationship with anyone, I mean, people meet people in the office, and they go on to have long, happy, married, productive lives and it's not a horrible thing i just it's it just it just seems that we've got our fingers into this so much now that we just can't take them away and just can't let things be and as you say not just leave it alone and say okay unless it's a problem it's not a problem and I, from from again just from reading some articles and seeing some things seeing some things online it didn't seem like it was a problem but all of a sudden the president and the higher ups assumed it was a problem well, if it's not a problem, why would you care? Why would you 
take them off the air. Is it affecting their work? Is it affecting their on-air performance? If any, maybe it's probably helping them, helping well, their network, helping ratings, if, helping advertising. How many sitcoms, Mike, have there been where coworkers have fallen in love and, you know, it's a delightful little thing. I mean, I, you know, is this delightful? I don't know. I, anyway, it's just, I, I just, I, all week I was seeing just story after story after story and I'm thinking if everybody involved in this, and again, not endorsing affairs, nothing like that, but if everybody involved in this seems to be on a level plane and seems to be okay with it, then whose business is it other than theirs to deal with? Hey, it's uh, a lot of it's also clickbait too in this world that we're in now, and, and people are getting paid off of this affair somehow be behind the scenes. Yeah, but so, rating, uh, anyway, if yeah. it's newsworthy, it's out there, and uh, show me the money these people are saying. Show me the money. Show me the fortune is really what it is. Uh, that is Mike Fortune from Cable 14. How is that for a wind-up segue? Man. Well done, It's sir. Friday night. It's almost 8 o'clock, and we're hey. still coming through with stuff like that. Thank goodness your name fit with that. If your name was Mike Poverty, it would have really hurt. Um, you should get into reporting and writing stories. That was pretty clever, Scott. <laughs> Mike Fortune, <laughs> thanks as always for doing this. Always appreciate it. Hey, to you and your family, Merry Christmas, all the best, and looking forward to chatting with you guys in the new year. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.